Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Hallowed be his name. Somebody shout glory this morning. Amen. How many of you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? All right. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to get into the minor prophet called Malachi. Malachi. Yeah, come on now. Sound excited a little bit. Y'all went Malachi. Malachi's kind of worked us over a little bit, hasn't he? Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but God's really adjusted some things in my heart in helping me understand this covenant relationship that I'm in. Remember the word covenant? It is a a, a relationship or an agreement between two parties, right? Where both parties have responsibility. And many of us never heard that when we came to faith in Jesus, uh, we were invited into a covenant relationship with God. Uh, We were told, simply pray this prayer and everything will be all right and you'll go to heaven. And nobody ever told us that really is about it. God did all that he did because he wanted a covenant relationship between us and him individually, one-on-one and as a people. And so this morning, I want you to think about the fact that a covenant has responsibilities on both parties. Y'all tracking with me? So God has responsibility, but also We have responsibility. Thank you, Brad. We have responsibility. And so this morning, we're going to learn a little bit more about that. But more than that, we're going to learn a little bit about, in fact, who who is God when we don't hold up our end of the deal, okay? So if it's all right, I'm going to do a little housekeeping first, all right, if I can do that, and then we'll dive into the text. And so a little housekeeping, you say, what do you mean? Well, if you'll remember with me, this Wednesday night, we'll not be having our normal midweek worship gathering, okay? And the reason will be is that they're going to finish the inside of the worship center this week. So they're going to spend all week working all day each day to get the two walls up here leveled across the front and all the painting and everything down the carpet up. And so uh, just be mindful of that. Now, what does that mean? So two things about tonight are going to be different, okay? Um, Well, many things about tonight are going to be different. Uh, we'll all come in here first, everybody, babies, kids, everybody. We'll have a time of praise together as families, all right? And then I'm going to share a couple of verses of Scripture, and then we're going to go out and leave out of here and pray over the new facilities and write your favorite verses as a family on the stud walls, okay? Uh, Now, if you don't do that tonight, you won't get another opportunity, all right? Uh, So what does that mean? They're going to be insulating those walls and sheetrocking those walls this week. So I want every person, every family as part of this gathering to have your favorite verse tonight uh, written on that wall. And I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. I want you to take a picture of that, okay, and to archive it. I want it to be something we can look back on and and see where we came together as a family and went in and did that special. So bring your little children with you. They won't let them be a part. I know some of you like, somebody asked me this morning, what about the elevator shaft? Well, we nailed plywood over that so nobody can fall in the elevator shaft. And so we're good. Just be careful on the stairways, all right? Mom and dad, just watch kids as you're going upstairs, see there. But listen, as you, as you take them around there, the lower level's for the younger children. The upper level is for the, is for the older children. There's a huge worship space upstairs. Show them those things. Talk them through it. Say, this is where you're going to be worshiping and learning about the Lord and just have a, a time as you pray over that. And then, then I'm going to need as many uh, guys and, and gals, if possible, to help me in here get the chairs out, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to put them in the hallway, and what will happen is that way Monday morning, as soon as they get here, guess what? They'll be able to get right started, and they won't have to spend a long time getting the chairs out. So, so will some of y'all help me do that? Give me some head nods. And some of y'all are like, I'm not nodding my head. Uh, and so we'll do that as quickly as we can. We'll have some dollars, and we'll just put those out in the hallway uh, down the existing building now. I'm excited about tonight. It's a special time. And uh, you may not know this, but every stud, just about every stud uh, in the walls of all of these buildings that we have have scriptures written in them uh, from faithful family members of God's family here at Hickory Ridge in the past. And so don't miss that opportunity tonight, okay? Very special time together. Now, back to Malachi, okay? Uh, a couple of questions to see if, you're, if you've been paying attention lately. And by the way, if you're our guest today, uh, you can catch up on Malachi, either going through our Facebook, uh, Hickory Ridge Facebook page, their archive there. Or you can go, I've got a podcast called Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And if you, a lot of times you can just listen to it easier than you can sit down. And, and so all the messages are there and you can catch up if you miss some of Malachi. <clears throat> now you may be thinking to yourself, what am I going to do? I didn't get the first part. It's okay. They all stand alone, but they also complement and help you understand each one. Okay. And I'll talk through some of that this morning. One other housekeeping thing. If you're our guest today, you'll notice on the back of the chair there, there's a little yellow 
uh, QR code. I lied to y'all for several months. I didn't know they weren't there, and I told you they were, um, but they actually are there now. So if you could help us out as we want to minister to you, um, and you can give us some information as how we can do that better. We don't want to just say hey to you on Sunday morning, okay? Now, I wanna, here's my question. Why is Malachi referred to as a minor prophet? It's short, right? He wasn't short, uh, or maybe he was. We don't know. Uh, but the minor prophet is not that he was less significant, but it was a shorter duration. Does that make sense to you? Somebody amen? All right. Remember the word prophet, especially in the Old Testament, meant a mouth, I'm going to just say a simple definition. I like to make these very simple because I'm simple-minded. Uh, a prophet was a mouthpiece for God, okay? But also, God would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would speak to the people, thus saith the Lord, okay, on God's behalf. But the people would also come to the prophet sometimes and say, hey, say this to God for us. And so he was a go-between, if you will. Now, uh, we look so far at Malachi as being the last prophetic word from God before a, the most significant event in history uh, happened, one of the most significant events in history. Does anybody remember what that was? It was 400 years of silence before this thing happened. Jesus Christ came to us, right? God with us, Emmanuel. So this was the last prophetic word of the Old Testament, okay, that God said to his people. And there are 400 years where God doesn't say one word to his people from heaven. Isn't that something? Uh, 400 years is a long time. Do you know that? A lot older than the United States of America, a lot, lot longer time. So when you think about that, let me just sort of put this thing into context, okay? Malachi is saying God's final word before uh, Jesus comes with this new covenant. So let's talk about your Bible for just a minute. Anybody in the room intimidated by your Bible besides me for a long time? Anybody besides me? Okay, some of you are like, wow, I can actually say that here? <laughs> yeah, yes, you can. Um, we don't hand out awards for Bible scholars, and we don't do Bible, we don't, we, we do Bible just for the kids, but we're not going to give you a cookie if you get there faster than me. Um, but we just want you to participate. And so you, the Bible's broken in two halves, if you will. And one half's called the Old Testament, and then one half's called the New Testament. And the word testament and the word covenant are the same. Oh, now somebody's Bible's not quite as intimidating. There was an old covenant, and there is now a new covenant. The old covenant, of course, it's really steeped in history, but if I was to sum it up in a very simple way, it's a lot deeper than this, but I'd say it was steeped in the law, God's law to man, showing he had a righteous, holy standard. We have in the old covenant a sacrificial system, right? Where the people would sacrifice animals and the priestly system, the high priestly system, they would take the animal sacrifices into the temple and sacrifice them before God. And they were a covering for sin, not a removal of sin. Let me explain it this way. Uh, have you ever had a credit card, maybe in your younger days or maybe now, and you only make the minimum payment? You ever done that? And <laughs> I love that look right there like, yeah, we're doing that now. And when you do that, the principle is untouched, right? Okay, so the debt of sin, the principle was untouched in the Old Covenant. There were, there were installments of animals that covered sin, but the principle had never been touched and paid on until the New Covenant. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, came and His blood was powerful enough not to just make minimal payments, but to clear the debt for all mankind. Whosoever would call on His name could be forgiven and have a covenant relationship with Almighty God. That ought to make you smile this morning. Amen. Now, somebody said, man, now my Bible makes a lot more sense. Okay, good. Very simply put. Now, why do I tell you all that? <clears throat> I tell you all that to remind you where we are and how the Old Testament was written for our learning. We're in the New Covenant. Why do we study the Old? The Old shows us the need for the New, but we also have learning that we need to gain. So Malachi is speaking to a people who are in the Old Covenant, but are not really living out their, their responsibilities in the covenant. Does that make sense to you? Now, in chapter 1, he tells them why they should be living in covenant relationship with him. Two reasons, if you remember. Number one, he said, I have loved you. So he says, the greatest reason that we ought to live in covenant relationship with God is not that we love him, but was that he, help me somebody, loves us. Uh, a covenant response in a relationship with God is not based on the law. It's not to get me to heaven. It's because God loves me and he proved it already, okay, in this new covenant. Now, some of you come in today and you say, well, I, you know, I, I, I don't know sometimes if God loves me or not. Uh, let me just say to you, he's already proven that and I'll get to that in just a minute, all right? So, uh, the old covenant, they weren't, and so what he's done in chapter one, he said, because of my love for you, but there was a second reason, see if anybody remembers. 
Oh, come on, say it excitedly, y'all. The magnitude of God, right? He said, because I am, uh, I'm going to deal with things, and you're going you're gonna to find out I'm not just the God of Israel. I'm the God of everything, right? So two reasons they, we ought to live in covenant response, the love of God and the magnitude of God. But then chapter 2, we would say he scolded them a little bit. I'm waiting for an amen or an me. Any me's in the house? Uh, through the messages we looked at in chapter 2, I had a lot of me's in my personal study time. So we have this old covenant, and we have these things that they were doing wrong, and he begins to really scold them. But remember, he tells them first, I've loved you, and I am huge. And here's what you've been doing. You've been not holding up your end. Well, in chapter 2, he talked about the fact they were offering these lambs that were, what were some of the things wrong with some of the lambs they were offering? Anybody remember? They were lame. Some of them were crippled. Some of them were blind. They couldn't see. And you say, what does that matter? Well, because God wanted, he required the highest, perfect, blemishless lamb to be offered to him. And they were going out in their flock and saying, no, not that one. It costs too much. Not that one. I can make too much money. Okay, this one right here, I can't get much for him. I'll give him to God. And we said that, we, we boiled that down into just layman's terms. And we said, really what the people were doing, they were giving God their scraps, sort of like we do our dogs. Oh, mercy. See, I told you some oh me's in the house, <laughs> at least with me. And so God reminded me that in my own life, I've given him some scraps of my time. Anybody else in the house? I've, I've given God, now see, this isn't me preaching down to you. This is me sitting with you and, and letting God deal with me as a son. I've given God scraps with my talent, what I'm good at. I've given, I've given God scraps of my money, my resources. I just, if I'm honest, I've not given him. And so <clears throat> I can relate to these people, okay? Now, at the end of chapter two, we looked at, if you missed Wednesday night's message, you really need to go back because he dealt with marriage. He dealt with uh, choosing a spouse. He dealt with how we respond in a covenant in that way. And it's, it was so really good. And then today, he's, he's finished telling them, well, kind of all that they've done wrong. And in chapter 3, he talks about his response to that, okay? Now, uh, did any of you ever sit with your parent and they lecture you? Anybody besides me? Okay, me and, me and Matthew. We're the only, okay, there's some others in the house. And was there ever a time, I'm going to just say Matthew because he raised his hand first. Every time Matthew, when they were doing that, you thought to yourself, well, you just come on and hush. And I got it. I heard you. You know, I got Yeah, me too. And there were, but now my parents taught me quickly not to, not to roll my eyes. You know, I learned that the hard way. Uh, but then I got to where I could roll my eyes on the inside. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'll be having a conversation in my head. They're just going to rant and rant, but I'll be looking right in the eyes and nodding, you know, and on the inside I'm going, man, they're just going to keep on and on and on. And I'm thinking, you've already said that. You've already said that. And I know they're thinking to themselves, yeah, the reason I'm saying this is because I said it already. You didn't get it. So now I'm going to have to elaborate on it, right? And so God has elaborated on their shortcomings. He has. But now he's going to say what his response is. Have you ever said to anybody in your life, get out of my sight? Y'all have? Can't believe y'all have done that. I've done that as well. But that's not God's response. It's not his response to them not holding up there into the covenant. Thanks be to God this morning. And it's not his response to me and you. Now, are you excited to find out what it is? Three of us. Okay, good. Those three, let's all stand to our feet. And I'm glad y'all are fired up. Let's stand together in honor of reading God's word this morning. And by the way, if you're our guest, you're going to find out we try to have a little fun here. Amen. Uh, we deal with this together. It's not a lecture. I'm not going to stand up here and talk down to you because I'm in this with you. And I believe we get a lot more of it when we interact together. So if you can physically stand, stand. If you can't, hey, stand in your heart. And uh, I'm asking those who are outside the room, if you're in your home somewhere, stand to your feet in your house. I remember doing that during COVID. Uh, at the nurse's station, you might already be standing up. Um, but let's just look at this word together. Okay, Malachi chapter three, beginning in verse number one. And we're gonna read all the way down. Let me, I like watching y'all's faces. Through verse number seven. <clears throat> verse number seven. Let's begin together, verse one. Behold, God said, I send my, help me, messenger. And he... Uh, will prepare the way before me. So he's not me, but he'll prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? <clears throat> for he is like, y'all help me, <clears throat> a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. And they may offer, or rather, that they may offer to the Lord the offering in righteousness. When the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord then, as in the days of old, as in former years, and I will come near. And this time he says, I will come near for you for judgment. I will be a swift witness 
against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien. Because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord. Y'all read this with me. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, God said, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, the next question goes with the next section, which we'll be looking at most likely next Sunday. So uh, we're going to hold off on that because he answers the question in verses 8 through 12, okay? So let's pause now and ask the Lord to give us understanding as we spend time together. Would you bow with me for just a moment? Father, I want to say thank you for continuing to fill up this room and Lord giving opportunity for souls to be fed on your word. And I thank you for those in here who are inviting people to say, come and just Come and just hear what the Word of God has to say. Come worship with me. Thank you for that. Thank you for those that are here today who are our guests. We're so honored that they would come and be with us today. Now, Father, would you help me? <clears throat> because you know that I am in desperate need. Father, I'm so less than ordinary, simple at the core. And so, Lord, I need, again, a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me the gift of preaching and the gift of your Spirit. So I'm confident when I say, do it again. Do it again, God. Improve once again before the people. You can use anybody, anywhere and at any time. So use me now, I pray. And Father, as you use me to preach, preach to me. Because God, I need it as much as anybody that's in the sound of my voice. And God, I pray that today our hearts would be humble and receptive. I pray that your Holy Spirit would tune our ears into the voice of our Father. That we, like little children, would pull a chair up at the table. Look into your face and hear what you have to say to us. Speak from heaven, we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. <clears throat> now, the title of the message this morning is an interesting one. The title is, The Right Kind of Fire. The Right Kind of Fire. Could I be honest with you this morning and tell you what I got in more trouble over growing up uh, than I did any other thing? Uh, can you guess? Uh, playing with fire. My dad would maybe be burning trash or be burning limbs or something, and as soon as dad would turn his back, I'd throw something in the fire. And it might be something ridiculous, like a battery, you know, that'll blow up. And, uh, and so don't ever do that, all right? Uh, kids, don't ever do that. It's a terribly dangerous thing. But my dad, he knew that he never turned his back real hard on me because he knew. And I would take a whipping every single time and take it with joy, you know, uh, just to see something burn. And, uh, and so, now thank God he's changed that about me. But let me just say that there are some kinds of fire, listen, that are, that are productive and good. Now, do you, do you understand that statement this morning? Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, sometimes foresters... We'll, we'll do a controlled burn in a portion of woods. What are they doing? They're eliminating some of the fuel that lays on the ground, all the dead stuff that fuels a raging wildfire, right? And so those fires, we would say, would be a good and productive fire. Amen? You're tracking with me? And so they are able to burn away that stuff and keep productive and cause new growth to happen. But then they're also, uh, and I would say wildfire would be, we would say would not be a productive thing, but is a bad and a destructive thing. You've heard of wildfires that are raging that sometimes engulf homes with people in them, and we would say that those fires are destructive. Yes, this is yes, all right. And so there's a good kind of fire, and there is a bad kind of fire, if you will. Now, this morning, I want you to hold that in your mind because we're going to come back to that at a particular time in the message, and I want you to consider which one you prefer, Okay which one you prefer. Now, let's dive in. There are going to be three Roman numerals in our notes. Now, now some of y'all are not taking notes, and that's all right. I encourage you to do that because we forget easy. But if you don't, you're not going to hell for that, okay? We're not going to look down on you for it. Um, but we do encourage you to do that. We say Jesus is the master teacher. We want to be master students, all right? Now, uh, some of you, though, some of you, though, take color-coded notes. And so I'm going to tell you, there's three Roman numerals. Some are going to have a one and two. Some are even going to have an A and B. So you better get your three colors out and we'll dive in. Okay, Roman numeral one, right in your notes there. Here it is. Boy, it's good news too, by the way. And just feel free to smile every once in a while. I feel like y'all are mad at me today. And uh, just everyone, if you just want to just smile at me, it'll be all right, okay, as we go along this thing together. Uh, Roman numeral one, write down these two words. This is going to be found in Malachi chapter three, verse number one. Here it is. God intervened. God intervened. Now, when you hear the word intervention, what do you think about? Addiction, maybe, right? 
Uh, maybe you think about addiction. Maybe you think about mental illness. Maybe you think about sometimes when somebody in the family or dear friends had to step in and in the middle of a, a, a difficult situation, uh, uh, they had to step in and intervene, right? You, you kind of come in and you want to bring something that is uh, as difficult and maybe bad and harmful, and you want to make an extreme interjection to turn it another way. You tracking with me? And so now, think about the context of the book, the flow of the message of Malachi. He's saying that the situation is bad or good? Bad. The people have been honoring their end of the covenant or, or not? Not. And so in the middle of that, what happens? God, God's going to do an intervention. I'm so thankful that he did. And so God intervened. And let's talk a little bit about that. Three particular ways I want us to investigate in verse number one that deals with God intervening with the people and how it applies to me and you, okay? Now, sometimes you hear me say that this word, man, and by the way, I'm going to get so fired up in verse one because we're going to spend a lot of time in verse number one. And I, I looked at them about 40 minutes in, y'all, and I said, all right, we're going on to verse two. And they looked at me like, oh, mercy. I'm kidding. It wasn't 40 minutes. It was like 36. It was not 40. Okay, so as we dive in this morning, I want us to first look at Roman number one, God intervened. Little number one, write this down. I want us to talk for a minute about this. In verse one, we find out who it was that intervened. He says, behold, the very next word is a singular word. It's a personal pronoun. It's capitalized. It is the personal pronoun, I. It represents Jehovah. Uh, we would say God the Father, okay, the God of Israel. And so I want you to circle that. I want you to write the two words, God sent, okay? An angel didn't send, uh, uh, an assistant didn't send, but Jehovah God, God the Father is the one who intervened. Now let's talk for just a minute about that. Someone said to me, I think that the Trinity, how many of you have heard of the doctrine of the Trinity? Raise your hand. All right, God, we, we believe that God is Trinitary, right? And meaning that he is one, but he is Three. Now, yeah, some of y'all are going to be like, what? I know, I know. Uh, and if anybody feels adequate to explain that, I'm going to get a whiteboard out, and I'm going to give you a marker, and you come explain that for us. But let me say that it is one of the most difficult concepts for the human mind to understand. You know why? Because it is infinite instead of finite. So God the Father, God the Son, somebody help me, God the Holy Spirit. They are the same, but they are independent, right? They are not independent of each other, but separate. That's a better word. So they are three in essence in being. They're all God in being, but they're different in persons. Does that make sense to you? And so you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, somebody said, that's all New Testament, is it? Yes, I would say yes, the majority of, of, of that is found in the New Testament, but we find, we find teachings and principles of it in the Old Testament. You know, we're, let's just talk about where. First of all, in Genesis chapter 1, when man fell and God began to put him out of the garden, uh, there's a word that's used there to help us to understand that God is singular, but he's also plural. More than one. How? He said, let us put man out of the garden, us being plural. We find some first hints that God is, yes, one, but God is also three. Okay, now some of y'all look as confused as you can be. I understand. As much as I know about the Trinity, I'm still confused too because nothing compares to God. Let me just say, if he was very easily explainable, he wouldn't be very God. Okay, so uh, here's what happens. This, this verse, and by the way, you, you hear me say that sometimes verses are pregnant with truth. This one has triplets. And so let's dive in and look at it, okay? Number one, God sent. And when I think about the fact that God is seated on high and he's talking to a people that don't honor him, that are, that are giving him some, some scraps, uh, that are even giving, some of the lambs they gave were stolen lambs. Can you imagine that? I come steal your lamb and then offer it to God. And, and, he, and he's dealt with, and some of them have dealt treacherously with their wives and their husbands and their spouses. And, and he's just telling them that they've not honored the covenant in every area of their life. And then of all things, by the way, when, when you and I deal with people who dishonor us in every way possible, don't we usually want to avoid that person? You see them in Walmart, and you see them come out the end of aisle seven, and they've dishonored you in every way they possibly can. Generally, you're not going to run to aisle seven and give them a hug, right? You're probably going to do what? Duck and dodge. Some of y'all are the best duckers and dodgers I've ever seen in my life, right? And you shrink down and you get narrow and you hide behind and you start turning your back, start shopping for something. You, don't, you know, play, you start picking out Play-Doh and don't even have children. <laughs> and, so, and so, listen, I, I'm so thankful unto God that, that as we're reading his rebuke of the people, we don't find in chapter one, I'm not sending, I'm not intervening, but we see that God himself is sending. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God is the God who wants to rescue instead of punish? 
to, to create and build instead of destroy. And so God sent. Now, it reminds me of a verse in the New Testament. It's probably coming to your mind, your mind too. It's John chapter 3 and verse 16. And it just tells us the same New Testament concept of God intervening in that this says this. If you know it, read it with me or say it from memory. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He sent. He gave. He sent. Who did? God did. Why? He so loved. He didn't just love, but he so loved the world that he sent. Who did? God did. We didn't love him. We didn't go looking for him, but God looked down in all of our humanity and sinfulness, and he sent. God sent. Jehovah sent. The Father sent his Son into the world that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I got up this morning. I said, thank God that he sent. I can't wait to get up there and tell them people about God intervening and that he sent his son. He sent, God did. All right. Number two in your, in your list here of God intervening. So I would ask you this. I would say to you based on number one, little number one, I'd say, who sent? You'd say, all right. I'd ask you again. I said, who sent? You'd say, God sent. And we'd say specifically God, the father. Look at you guys. God, the father. So God sent his son to the world. So he says, I'm going to send. But now he's not talking here about his son, not yet. He's talking about messenger lowercase. Did you notice that? So God sent, but now we're going to answer it a second way. And we're going to say God, we highlighted God. I'll tell you, this is the first part of the triplets. God sent, that's what we looked at. But secondly, I want you to write this down. God sent John. God sent John. Write that in your notes. So God sent, God did, but who did he send? First, he's going to talk about sending John. Now, not John the disciple, but John the Baptist, or literally the baptizer, John the baptizer. And if you'll remember, God sent John the baptizer. You say, well, what's the difference between the two? Some of you, I don't pretend that everybody here is a biblical scholar. What are the difference between the two? John the disciple referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He's the one that's responsible for writing uh, John, the gospel according to John, first, second, third John, and, and also the Revelation. Now, he's the only disciple, John the disciple, not this John, but John the disciple is the only one who was not martyred for his faith. He was, in fact, you know, tradition tells us bold and all, but he didn't die. How did God do that? I don't know, but he did it. So they, in fact, banished him to the island of Patmos, where God gave him the revelation. So that's where we have the revelation recorded, okay? Now, this John, this John was, in fact, martyred, right? And do you remember somebody cut off his head? Does anybody remember who it was? Herod did, John the Baptist. Now, let me clarify why I know this passage 400 years before the angel announces John's coming, uh, that God is telling his people, you've messed up. I'm going I'm to just summarize the first couple of chapters. You've, you've dishonored the covenant between me and you. And here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to first send, somebody say his name? John. I'm going to send John. Now, does anybody remember what John's ministry or message was. One word, repentance. Repentance, write that down somewhere, repentance. God sent John, I wrote this in my notes, God sent John with the message of repentance. Now, what does it mean to repent? It means to turn, right? But before a turn can happen, there has to be a mental action that happens before the turn. We've always been told it means to turn, yes, but there's first an activity of belief that happens in the mind before the turn happens. Does that make sense to you this morning? Uh, in other words, until you're convinced you're heading in the wrong way, you'll never make a U-turn. I've never made a U-turn until I was convinced that I was headed in the wrong direction. So uh, repentance is a changing of the attitude that leads to a changing of the action, okay? So John's message was a message of repentance. We'll come back to that. Now, he's the preacher, I still don't know how you know this is John. Well, hang on. I'm going to put the clues together. Listen, if somebody ever tells you something can't prove it, don't listen to them. If they can't biblically support it, it's, a, it's an idea. It's a, it's a theory, all right? And those are great and fine, but they're a waste of time. I say we ought to always focus on what we can determine because there's plenty there. You with me? All right? Now, how do I know this is, in fact, John? All right? I'm glad you asked. Turn with me over to chapter 4, and look with me in verse number 5. Chapter 4, verse 5. Boy, isn't that a good sound? I love hearing y'all turning them pages. Sound like somebody opened a Christmas present. All right? Chapter, five, chapter 4, rather, verse 5. Are you there? All right, listen. He, he's referring again back to this messenger, lowercase m, who is not God, but is coming to prepare the way of God, and he says about in verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Now, preacher, that don't say John. That says Elijah. 
What in the world are you trying to trick us calling John Elijah? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you will, write these verses in your notes. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. You writing that somewhere? It's going to be on the overhead. Don't read ahead too fast. Y'all are trying to go ahead and read it. All right, hold on. All right, Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. I'm telling you, this little messenger who is, who is Elijah, who is in the spirit and power of Elijah, is in fact who? John the Baptist. How do I know? Let's see what the angel says to John the Baptist, daddy, Zacharias. Y'all tracking with me? Come on, you got to stay with me now because this is beautiful. It's wonderful. All right, verse 13. But the angel said to him, to Zacharias, John the Baptist, daddy, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Okay, preacher, what does that have to do with this prophecy of Elijah and this messenger coming to prepare the way and turn people's hearts? Hang on, hang on. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. I still don't see it. Hang on. For he will be great in the sight of those. How does that prove? Hang on. And he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and will, oh, we're starting to see it and will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. I still don't see it, preacher. Hang tight. He will also go before him. Help me, somebody. Oh, now I put the pieces together for you, didn't I? And light bulbs are going, bing, 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 bing. I see him come all over us. Wow. Way back here in Malachi, he's saying, I'm sending my prophet. I'm sending, uh, I'm sending my messenger in the spirit and power of Elijah. And if you'll read in Malachi, he says, I'm going to turn the hearts of the people back toward the Lord. Who's he talking about? He's talking about John the Baptist. Isn't that wonderful? Now, let's go back to Malachi, okay? So, God sent, God did. Secondly, God sent John with the message of repentance. Now, let me show you something. How is the human attitude in responding to the word repent? Or let me say it this way. What's the human heart condition when somebody tells us, not asks us, but tells us to repent? How do we usually respond to that? I'm not doing that. Tell me what to do. Don't, don't worry about what I'm doing. You worry about what you're doing, right? Uh, I'm not, I'm not, first of all, I'm not going to turn because I think I'm going in the right direction. I remember Tina, I've told you this a thousand times. Tina woke up one day, we're heading in the wrong direction. I said, no, we're not. No, we're not. Go back to sleep. I got this. She did. And about 45 miles later, I see the sign for the wrong town. At which time I was finally convinced here that I was heading in the wrong direction. It wasn't until then that I turned. So uh, let me just say this something. Uh, when I first heard her say, turn around, I felt attacked, threatened, judged. Come on, somebody. That is the initial immature human response to when we're told we must repent. We must repent, all right? Now, when we hear the right response to repentance, in other words, why does God send John? Does he just want us to stop having fun? Does God say, I'm gonna send, I'm gonna send John in the spirit and power of Elijah because, because Robert's having too much fun. Todd's having too much fun down there, and I'm gonna make him turn away from having all that fun. Heavens no. He's doing that because he knows the direction we're, ha we're headed without him is a painful place, is a place of loss and hopelessness and destroyed relationships where the enemy has a heyday in our mind, in our heart, and in our relationships. Somebody ought to shout, Thank you, God, for repentance. So God sent. Who sent? God did. He intervened. But who did he send? First, before he sent the messenger of the new covenant, he sent the, the, John the Baptist, the messenger that says, turn, you're not headed in the right direction. You're going the wrong way. You can't be the boss of you. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. You're not powerful enough. You can't, as, as, as Braylon said, you can't get clean. You can't, or maybe it's Cody that said, you can't get clean until you come to him. You're heading in the wrong direction. You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough. You've got to turn and surrender your life to a different Lord. So John was sent as one who was to turn us so that God could rescue us. Oh, my goodness. See, he's a gentleman. He won't kick the door into your heart and make you be rescued. He'll only come to you with a message saying, turn away. The way you're headed is destruction. Oh, I love him. I don't know about you, but I love him this morning. Number three, I said there are going to be three in this list. Number one in this God intervened, we said it's pregnant with triplets. First one, first baby was God sent. Who did? God did. Y'all help me. Number two, God sent who? John the Baptist with a message of repentance, with God's desire not to destroy or, or to kill our fun, but to save and rescue. Number three, God sent Jesus. Would you write that down? 
Notice as you're reading on through verse 1, the next messenger is in the middle of a sentence, but there's something different about the first letter. What is it? Capitalized. So we began to understand the second messenger is different than the first. Why? The first messenger, he said, was going to prepare his way. You can't prepare your own way. Did you know that? Yeah, you can't go ahead and prepare. You can only be in one spot. And so what God says is, he didn't identify the first messenger as his own person. He says, I'm going to send a messenger, and this messenger is going to make the way for my person who I'm sending, who is equal to me, who is in fact none other than Jesus. Now let me show you, all right? Verse number one. Are y'all having as much fun as I am? I couldn't wait for y'all to hurry up and get in here this morning. That first group left and it was lingering. I was like, y'all come on in here. I can't wait to tell you what God has taught me this week. And so we can learn this together, all right? So back in verse one, behold, I, God, sent my messenger, John the Baptist, and he will prepare the way before me. How? Through repentance, to tell the people, turning them away, Jehovah sent. But then he says, and the Lord, the word there is not the word Jehovah. It's not the word, uh, the Jehovah, which is the uh, name for the Old Testament, uh, name of God, for God the Father, but instead is Adonai. Lord, you know that you must confess Jesus Christ as Adonai, Lord, in order to be saved. And so he declares, I send the Lord whom you seek. He will suddenly come. And where is he going to come? Not to somebody else's temple. The other messenger is coming to prepare a way. But this messenger is coming to his temple, his temple. And he says, and he says, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him. Even the messenger, and here's the key, of the covenant. There's a new covenant. And I just want to tell you this morning, I'm sure I'm thankful. And he says, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. God sent Jesus. Now, he sent John with a message of repentance. He sent Jesus with the perfect blood for a new covenant. Write that somewhere in your notes. He sent John with a message of repentance to turn us away from us and to him. And he sent Jesus with the precious, perfect blood of God that could be sacrificed and no longer be a payment on the minimum payment, but would be the one-time sacrifice for all time. He was going to, listen to me, let's lean in when I say this thing. He's going to clear the principle. Huh? Paid off, paid in full. Tetelestai, meaning paid in full. That's what Jesus said as he died on the cross. Now, remember, seeing in the New Testament, when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he's celebrating the old covenant Passover. And they're having this meal that represents the old covenant Passover with God's people. And Jesus takes that Passover meal and he uses two particular elements of the meal, the bread and the juice, the wine. And he uses it to show them that the old covenant was always about him. He said, oh, by the way, this bread, this unleavened bread that represents uh, Latin no sin, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he said this, he took the cup after the meal, you remember? And in the meal, the Passover land, that last cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Listen, he said, in my blood. So God sent Jesus with a covenant that says, listen, you couldn't live according to the law. Bulls and goats weren't good enough to pay the price. God said this new covenant, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says the better covenant this new covenant is going to be sealed with perfect blood. It's going to be blood that's able to cleanse somebody as sin-stained as Terry Fan. Hallelujah. If he can cleanse me, listen to me, he can cleanse you. Amen? And so he said there's this new covenant. The old covenant was there to show us we could not live according to the law, and bulls and goats were never going to be good enough. And there was always a new covenant as God's plan to save mankind, Jew and Gentile alike. Makes me want to shout and dance. And some of y'all looking angry and mad. I don't know what's going on in your heart. But God's offered me and you through Jesus a new covenant. Jew and Gentile alike. Make me want to shout and clap. And, but I'm afraid I'll hurt myself, so I'm going to be still. Think about that for just a minute. What are you living for? What stays on your mind? What do you worry about? What do you think about? What do you occupy yourself with? What, do you, what fires you up? You know what fires me up? That God intervened. That I was lost and dead in my trespasses, hopeless, empty. My soul was thirsty. I was chasing my tail, and God intervened. Hallelujah. I'm excited about that this morning. Okay, number one, God intervened. I'm trying to move on, Roman numeral two. And there's only three, so hang with me. Roman number two, write this down. We said first God intervened. We, did y'all, by the way, did y'all see the triplets in that? That was beautiful. Number two, Jesus is one of two kinds of fire for every single one of us in this room. Hmm, interesting. 
Question, which fire do you prefer? What are my choices? We started with it. There's a good kind of fire that purifies, right? And there's a bad kind of fire that destroys, right? Hurts, uh, uh, destroys. So let's talk about what he says to him next. He says, I'm sending my messenger, uh, the one whom is the messenger of the new covenant, verse two, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who's able to stand before him? Because this messenger is not John the Baptist. The second messenger is God in the flesh. Who can stand before him? Who can endure his coming? He goes on to say, and who can stand when he appears? Why? Why would he even ask that question? Because Jesus is like, somebody help me, a refiner's fire. Now, let's just say that you went out into your backyard and you dug up a big old lump of gold. Huh? And it had, somebody's like, man, is that possible? No, probably not. But just stay with me, okay? And in that lump of gold, when it comes in its natural form, there is something in there uh, called ore, iron ore, gold, or all kind of other impurities in the gold. Does that make sense to you? And how they refine that gold is they take that lump of gold, right? And they put it in a particular vessel and they heat the vessel with fire. And what the fire does is it burns out all the things, listen, that take away from the value of the gold, that which harms the gold, that which brings the value of the gold down. Are y'all tracking with me? Can I move on? And so in the scripture, you see a word sometimes, you may not know what it means. It's the word dross, D-R-O-S-S. That's what he's talking about. That's the stuff that comes to the top that's raked off of the gold when it's heated to a certain temperature of the silver, okay, dross. Now, how does that apply to God or Jesus being a refiner's fire? Now, listen, he's either going to be a refining fire or a fire of judgment. We're going to deal first with the refiner's fire, and he is a refiner's fire to those who are in covenant relationship with him, only them. You with me? Because those who are not born again don't have faith. You ain't got no gold, okay? You say, yes, I do. I got a gold bar. That thing is going to be here when you die and gone, right? You got nothing of value if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. So that faith relationship is like gold, but because we're human, our faith is oftentimes, now, now look, I'm not talking down to you. I just want you to reason with me. It's impure. Let, let me ask you a question. You ever struggle with doubt? Let me look at your face to see if anybody's in my group. Do you ever struggle with doubt? You ever, you ever say, Lord, I believe, but then in the back of your head, you're saying, this ain't going to happen. I don't think this is going to work out for me. And so we in our lives would have to admit that we oftentimes have faith, but we also worry, doubt. What does doubt cause in us? All kind of unhealthy things. Things like anxiety, things like fear, right? Things like, things like anger, things like unforgiveness. Anybody tracking with me? And so those things, let me ask you, how many of you love to sit up and worry? How many of you know that worry has a tremendous medical impact negatively on your body? If you don't believe it, next time you go to the doctor for a checkup or something, you ask your doctor, male or female, you ask them, hey, tell me a little bit about the effects of worry on the body. And they'll begin to tell you about hypertension. They'll begin to tell you about high blood pressure and ulcers. They'll begin to tell you about all kinds of negative effects that, that, that the impure, let's just stay with me, the impurities of doubt will produce in the life of the believer. Now, why then does God want to refine our faith? Well, it's simple, because he loves us. He doesn't want us sitting around developing ulcers because we're worrying. He don't want us to face giants in our life and find ourselves defeated because we can't believe that God can do what God said he can do. And so what he wants to do is through a refining fire, produce in us a faith more pure, more beautiful, and listen, way more comforting. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. What good daddy would want his children to worry and be afraid and fearful and full of anger? I'll tell you, no good daddy. And so if you're ever wondering why God uses refining fire in believers is because he loves us. Now, let's talk a little bit about two ways. This is our A and B if you're wondering, okay? So number one, write down, little number one under two. I don't think I told you that. Jesus is refining fire to those who are in a new covenant with him. I did tell you that, but I didn't tell you it was number one, okay? So Jesus is refining fire to those who enter the new covenant. Now, letter A, how does he do it? How does Jesus, I'm looking at you guys, and I'm going to ask you, has Jesus ever just put a torch on you? Thank God, no. I hate fire. Fire is terrible right on the skin. It don't, don't work out well together. So then how does he? Is, is, is it a 
Imagery, what's the imagery of God's applying fire to my life to purify my faith? Well, I'm glad you asked. Letter A, I'm going to give you two examples. Affliction. Affliction. Somebody says, what is affliction? Let me give you a quick definition. Any difficult thing that threatens your faith. Right? Affliction. Hard things. Trials. Anybody face any trials in your life? Anybody in the room? Yeah, it makes us all understand, doesn't it, that we're all in this together. So we face trials and difficulty. Why? Why does God let difficulty into the life of a believer? Why do we face things that seem to be insurmountable mountains? Because he's using it as refiner's fire to teach us who he is in the valley so that he burns away the impurities of doubt that cause us all kinds of stress and worry. And Why? Because he loves me and you. Let me give you a couple of verses of Scripture. Write this in your notes there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Read along with me. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice. What? Though now for a little while, if need be, so this, there's a need, that you have been grieved by various trials. Why would it be necessary for me to be grieved with various trials? That the genuineness, come on somebody, of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is also tested by fire, may be found to praise, come on, help me, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's saying God will allow some affliction in your life to burn away the impurities of doubt because you'll learn that God is who he says he is on the mountain, just like he's God who he says he is down in the valley. And hallelujah, when you face the next valley, you won't be worried. You won't stay up all night. You won't develop an ulcer. You won't be bringing everybody to round you down. You'll be lifting them up. Why? Because your faith is more pure and more beautiful by the refiner's fire. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the hard times in my life, because that is, in fact, where I've grown the most. Can anybody testify to that? It's where I've grown the most. Refining fire. Now listen, affliction is not called, God didn't send affliction in our life to cause us to doubt if he loves us. Well, what are you talking about? We already know he loves us. Why? Because he intervened. Is anybody tracking with me? When I fell 15 foot off that ladder, I was laying there on my wrist crushed and dislocated. I wasn't laying there thinking, I wonder if God loves me. I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I, you know what? I was reminded, hey man, he died on the cross for me. That's a settled issue. Days, I'm going to have hard days, but it's out of his love he allows me to face things because in those moments I find out he really is enough. He really is enough. So he goes on to say, uh, we say affliction, but there's a second thing I want to talk about is the refining fire in our life. And, and really, if I get the choice, this is the one I pick, <laughs> the Word of God. It's a refining fire. Write, write down letter B, the Word of God. Did you know the Word of God is a fire? Did you know it's referred to itself as a fire? Ah, you may not have known that. Oh, good, I'm going to give you the verse. Here it is, all right? Anyway, y'all having fun learning? Are you learning anything today? Raise your hand if you learned something today. And hey, are you going to apply it? Please tell me you're going to put it into play. Hey, man, this is going to bless your life. It's going to bless your life, and God's going to be glorified, all right? So the Word of God, what are you talking about? Jeremiah 23, 29, listen to what he says. Now, he talks about two things. We're talking about the first one. <clears throat> God asks a rhetorical question. He says, is not my word like a fire? So, so, so you mean to tell me that I can sit down in the morning with the Word of God, and it can refine me? Yes, I am. I'm telling you, you can open that thing up, and what I have found is we don't read it. It reads us, and like a mirror, James said, we look into it, and the Word of God will highlight some things, and if I'll keep reading it, if I'll meditate on it, if I'll discuss it, if I'll think about it, if I'll put it to memory, it will, like a fire, burn away the things in my life that are impure. Isn't that beautiful? Now, now, again, wouldn't you agree with me if I get to choose? Huh? Anybody out there? If I get to choose, I'd rather sit at the kitchen table with Jesus first thing in the morning and have the refining fire of his word do a work on me. But you know what I found is, is oftentimes very, very effective? Affliction. Affliction. Difficulty. It's very effective. And God knows it, and he loves us, and he's going to be there for us. Okay, so, but now let me finish Jeremiah 23, 9, because he says, It's not my word like a fire, says the Lord. And also, listen how God compares his word to, and like a hammer that'll just fluff you up, right? That breaks the rock in pieces. Oh my. Lord, help me to see your word as a fire and a hammer. Uh, that there should be some response in my life. It's not always a sprinkle of Jesus in a verse of the day, but a true transforming power the word has in my life and in culture. Okay, we said two things, all right? That Jesus is two kinds of fire. He's a refining fire to those who are in this new covenant with him. But he is the path of fire to judgment for those who reject him. That's number two. Jesus is judgment to fire for those who, y'all help me, who reject him. 
Now, someone asked me the other day, man, I'm telling you, you must always be excited about what God's doing. And I said, well, yeah, if you're around me much, you'll find out I'm a pretty excitable character. I'm like a Honda. I crank on the first pull. You know, I, uh, I'm, I've been saved. I, I, was, I was a wretch. And God's been so good, the evidence of his goodness all over my life. And I, I'm just in love with him because he loved me. And, and so oh, I'm, I'm trying to get back to the message here. But, but you understand, he said, so you, you probably, I said, well, let me, he says, what is it that, 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 that unsettles you the most in our, in our world today? I said, oh, no, no. I said, what unsettles me the most uh, today is what happens in the sanctuary, in the worship center. And he said, wait a minute now, I'm watching and y'all baptized over 215 people last year and y'all baptized somebody every Sunday this year. What are you talking about? I said, what I know is people come in there every week and they assume that they're going to heaven because they prayed a prayer somewhere, never got in the covenant, never surrendered, never, never turned away from anything, or just they think they're a good person because they're, you know, their dad's saved and they have some kind of religion. They at least believe that God is there in their head and like the devil does. And, and they're not, they're lost. And if they die, they're one breath away from judgment. And I said, sometimes I lie awake at night and I just weep because, because I can't tell the difference. I look around and see a sea of faces and people, and a lot of you I know, and a lot of you I'm getting to know, and I hope to get to know the rest of you along the journey. But what I can't tell by looking at you, even looking at your life, I've got some guesses. But when God looks in this sanctuary from his holy habitation in heaven, some of you stick out like a sore thumb. You, you, got, you got condemnation on you. And if you stop breathing right now while I'm speaking, you're going to face judgment by fire for eternity. That haunts me. It haunts me. And, and, and so somebody asked me one time, well, then how could a loving God allow such of a thing? I said, because he moved heaven and earth and he didn't spare his only son so that whoso, anybody can be saved and everybody can be saved. But some will choose not to. And so here's what he says. Now, let me just show you where I got it from, from the text, okay? Because I don't want to tell you something that I can't prove by the Word of God. Again, it would just be conjecture or opinion. And remember this. Everything that we've heard so far reminds us that God is not pleased when he has to judge and punishment. How do I know that? He sent Jesus so he wouldn't have to. I can't imagine sending my son to be tortured and crucified. Mm, read with me, all right? Put your eyes back, if you will, on verse number five, and then we're going to go over in chapter four and verse one, okay? So look in verse five. He says, <clears throat> for I will come near, and that sounds great, doesn't it? If you don't know what he's saying next, you say, all right, he's going to come close, <clears throat> but he says, I'm going to come near for judgment, and that's a word the human heart can't stand. Did you know that about me and you? You know, there's a certain group of words that our flesh can't stand. We get uncomfortable. Obey, repent, confess, judgment. The, the mantra of the world today says, don't judge me. And can you imagine that person standing before the judge? Uh, the scripture says in Romans chapter 3, every mouth will be stopped, so there won't be like an argument. You'll just stand in judgment. And, and the Bible says that in, that in, in the great white throne judgment, the books will be opened. So you say, what books? Well, he tells them that later on, he goes on to tell them that all of their, the events of their life are going to be recorded in those books. And for me, what's recorded in them? Every wrong thought, every wrong deed, everything, every specific word and deed that was less than the holy perfection of God is recorded in those books. And thanks be to God, the only thing that can erase and erase the pages is the blood of the lamb applied to the individual's life. So my book, hallelujah, I bet that sucker was thick too, has been erased. There's nothing on the pages. What did that? My good deeds, my preaching sermons, my leading people to Jesus? Heavens, no. That's a byproduct. My surrender to Jesus and confessing him as Lord and then his righteousness put on my account. And now you can't, listen to what it says. The scripture says that my sins have been blotted out. Now that sounds like highlight, that sounds to me like white out, but friend, the word in the Greek means there's no evidence it was ever written down. See, when I write, I my, my kids say, say to me, dad, you're, you're intense. I think it was Brooklyn that told me that one time. Dad, you're intense. She's nodding her head over there now. I do everything full speed. I know it surprises y'all, but I even fall full speed. You know, I found that out. And uh, when I write down, I, I can't use those mechanical pencils because the stupid things get the lead's too thin. It snaps every time I try to write down a word. But when I write with that number two, you know, I write down with that thing, man, I, you, could, you could take the page off I wrote on and you could shade the next page and you could tell what I wrote. The word blotted out means there's no evidence anywhere that they were ever recorded. Now, some of us in here, and I don't know the difference, some of us in here, we couldn't go on a field trip to heaven this morning. Wouldn't that be nice? 
and look through the filing cabinets and the court dockets, and we could not find one shred of evidence that we've ever missed the mark of God's perfection. Hallelujah. But others of us have a thick book prepared. Every wrong thought and deed is written down in detail. And no amount of going to church or giving to the poor or being nice guy will erase any of them. Only an individual surrendered to Jesus and his blood applied to wash the pages clean. You see, we look at hell and judgment and we get all offended at God and that's just the flesh nature of man. When what we ought to do is realize that God has come into a place where he's given his only son so that our sins can be forgiven. And they can be today. Let me read a little further along, okay? Pick up with me if you will. I said, uh, I said we were going to look at chapter 4 and verse number 5. Or he says, and I will come near. And I'm going to come near for judgment. That sounds great. But then he says, I will be a, I'll be a swift witness. Can you, imagine, can you imagine the courtroom setting of God on the throne as judge, but God also... See, when you go into a courtroom, I don't know if you've ever been in one. I've been in a couple. Not just for other people too, okay? Not just myself. You know, some of y'all are looking at me hard. Yes, I've done some things in the past. Now listen, you have a judge on the, on the seat, but you also have a witness stand, Right? Can you imagine what he's saying here? I'm going to come as judge, but also witness. I'm going to, I'm going to testify to you what you knew was true because I told you and you knew it. And you tried to reason it away by culture and society and your way of thinking and knew it, whatever, whatever. But you're not going to get a rebuttal. I'm going to witness. I'm going to be the, God said, I'm going to be the judge and the witness. And he says, I'm going to come against, listen, sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners. Who's he talking about? People who work for you by the hour. Taking advantage of widows, taking advantage of orphans. Against those who turn away an alien. Somebody said, man, I knew there were such things as UFOs. Uh, an alien is somebody outside the nation of Israel, right? Uh, and so, so he says, you've turned people away. And you said, oh, I thought God only loved the Gentiles in the New Testament. No, he's loved all of mankind for all of time. So here he says, What's he, what is he talking about? Only these things? No, he's talking about a lifestyle of people who display they've never entered a covenant relationship with him. So a person who rejects God's full unconditional pardon in Jesus then will face God based on the law of God. And God will witness that their life has been lawlessness. And he'll say, depart from me. Why? Because of their sin? No, because they rejected the covenant relationship that was offered by grace that God says, whosoever will, come. The Word of God says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. What did Jesus say? Come to me. So today, you understand this. There's an opportunity for you also to be rescued. Let me conclude in verse number 7. Listen to what he says. For I am the Lord. I do not change in verse 6. Therefore, you're not consumed. So the same God who declared they were not living righteously but that he was going to intervene is the same God who would say to me and you today, maybe we're not living righteously, but he intervened. He sent, he sent, God sent, but he sent John. He wants us to repent. Why? So that we take the fun out of our life? No. So he can put us on a path of blessing. He sent Jesus so that we could be made right with God in this new covenant. Wow. Malachi, who knew? And then he says in verse number seven, he said, I don't change. Verse seven, he says, yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone Come on, help me, y'all. Away from my ordinances, and you have not kept them. Now, after you've read the totality of Malachi, because we're coming to a close of it, you would almost expect God to say, like me and you, when somebody has wronged us in every way, okay? I'm not talking about somebody who's just one, done one thing wrong to you. I'm talking about somebody who works against you, who's wronged you in every way. I want you to think about it. When you see him at Walmart, Chad, on aisle seven, usually what's our response to that? I'm going to aisle two if I can. I, I, aren't y'all surprised at how well we can duck and dodge? Narrow yourself up. All, you'll be shopping for Play-Doh, right? Don't even have children. Yeah. And so I want you to think about, you would expect God to say, you've, you've not been living in covenant with me. I've offered this covenant relationship with God and man. And you've not been doing it with your wives. You've not been doing it with your offerings. You've not been doing it with your time. You've not been doing it with, and you'd expect God to say, get out of here. I'm done with you. Get out of my sight. But he doesn't. It's not who he is. He says, what does he tell him? Come on, say it, say it, say it with Brad, y'all. He said, return to me. L you know what return to me says? I still want you. 
I still want you. I still desire you. Even though you've not held up your end of the covenant, I still desire you. I still want, I don't understand God. I'm just telling y'all. Somebody said, explain to me, God. I can't, man. I don't understand him because he's so magnificent, so loving, so kind, so compassionate, so patient. There are people I've given up with, people that when I see him, I go the other aisle. But God looks down at me and I've been unfaithful. And he says to me, Terry, come back. I want you. No matter where you are today, no matter where you've been or what you've done, he said, I don't change. The enemy may have been beating you down in your mind, whispering in your ear, saying, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. He's not. He said, I don't change. I still want you. I still desire. That's what God's saying to you today. I still desire intimacy with you. Even though you've been unfaithful, I want you for me. That's what God says. I don't know about you guys, but man, that changes things, doesn't it? And, and notice what he says his response is. He says, if you'll turn to me, Notice what he's, he's going to do. I'll draw near to you. you. You return to me and I'll come back close to you. And not for judgment, but for restoration and, and a refining fire. I'll, I'll be the refining fire in your life to help you become more and more like me. I'll, I'll be the refining fire in your life to help you burn out all the impurities that are harming you and causing you worry and fear. If you'll just draw near to me. Now I want you to consider that as we pray together for just a moment. Will you do that with me? I know I'm surprised as you are, we're out of time. I thought we just got here. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment, we must ask ourselves the question, which fire do we prefer? Here's the, here's the main idea of the text, listen. God sent everything we need to be rescued. He sent everything that we need to be rescued. Would you be rescued today? If there's never been a time in your life that you've given your life to Christ, would you allow him to rescue you today? I wonder if, if in the house tonight, this morning rather, I wonder if there's a brother or sister that might come to the altar and pray with me, pray for the lost. Was there a brother anywhere in the house, some brothers and sisters in the house, young people, older people, single people, married people, just come down the altar and just begin to pray. Lord, if there's one lost soul in the sound of my voice, could we stand together? People coming from all over the house. Would y'all stand with me for just a minute and make it easy for those that need to come to the altar and just begin to pray? I'd like for just to have a soldier of God's children at the altar right now, praying for those who, listen, because I'm telling you, it haunts me. It haunts me to think there's some people who leave out of here, children, young people, youth, older folk, 80-year-olds who walk out of here today lost and separated from a covenant that God offers a covenant of forgiveness, a covenant of pardon, a covenant of relationship. And so I just want to ask as the music begins to play, I want to ask if all of these prayer words at the front would just specifically pray, God, if there's a lost soul, then the sound of the word today, whether it be online, whether it be in this room, that where they are seated, where they are standing, they would in this moment hear the still small voice of God that says, I want you. I want you. Can somebody turn the lights down a little bit more on those outside places for me? And I want us to just consider for just a minute, okay, what God's saying to you. How are you supposed to respond? Maybe the enemy has turned your thoughts on God, trying to convince you that he's mean and unreasonable, and he just wants to suck the fun out of your life. And I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to you today to say to you, he loves you. He desires what's best for you. Would you draw near to him? Gonna wait just a moment. Just sit here in the stillness of this moment. Just listen. If you're here today and you've never entered a covenant relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ, His Son, I encourage you to do it right now where you're standing. It would look something like this. If the Spirit is drawing you, feeling Him nudging you, you're looking over your life, and you know for certain there's never been a covenant relationship began through surrender to Jesus, I encourage you, you can do it right where you're standing, right where you're sitting. It looks like this. Lord, Lord, listen, I believe today that Jesus died for me. And in my heart, I believe, yes, you must believe that He rose from the dead. And that simple belief of that is not what saves, but the belief that leads to a surrender. The kind of faith that says, I don't want to be the boss of me anymore. Leads to a confession. I don't want to be Lord anymore. I want Jesus Christ to be Lord. That's where salvation is found. Very simple. So simple a little child can understand. I didn't say easy. 
I said, simple. It's difficult because the hardest thing humans will ever do is to surrender, to give up control. I wish today that you would be saved. Maybe you're here and you've drifted far from a close place with God, and he says to you, return to me. And the enemy's convinced you you've gone too far and it could never be like it used to be. And I'll tell you, it can't. Listen, it can be better than it used to be. He says, come. The Spirit says, come. Jesus says, come to me. Now, I want to say the altar's open. Brother Jimmy's down front. Shane and Dawn are going to help me. Ladies, Dawn would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. Guys, we're down there. We'd love to have the opportunity. If there's something on your heart, if you've made Jesus Lord, come share with us. If you're coming home to Christ, come tell us. Hey, if God's stirring in your heart, you're supposed to be a part of this gathering, then come share with us. We'll tell you how. Maybe you've never followed through in baptism. You know for certain there's a time when you gave your life to Jesus, but you never made that first most important step of obedience in baptism. And as you saw Braylon and, and Coley and Chris this morning, God stirred in your heart, I need to follow through in obedience with baptism. Then you come. We want to tell you how you can do that. So, Father, take this time of response, and Lord, strip away our pride and give us courage to respond how your Spirit's leading. I pray that in Jesus' name.